Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. For those of you who have been coming out the last couple of days, thanks for coming back. For those who are just joining us, a special welcome to you and thanks for coming. My appetite is really whetted for what uh, these two men have to share tonight. And uh, our church has, just in the last four or five years, really begun to move into ministry to people suffering from various substance addictions and so brother I want to hear out of the the riches of how you've seen Christ work what you have to share and um, we our church also does some work in um, a less war-torn country in Kenya but know how desperate we've become for the reality of God as we've moved out into that kind of ministry so Look forward to that. Is this okay? Is this? Uh, it sounds a little echoey to me. We're, we're good. All right, good. I'm going to start with uh, reading a passage of scripture from Mark's Gospel, chapter nine, and beginning in verse fourteen. So, chapter nine of Mark's Gospel. 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So the disciples and teachers of the law are locked horns. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. 
The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, often said this, I wish I could get you to pray like my dog goes after meat. You should see my dog. We have a big yellow lab, and he seems endlessly hungry and has a bottomless hole in him that could eat all day and not be satisfied. I wish I could get you to pray like my dog goes after meat. How tepid many of us, me included, tend to be in our prayer. How fickle, how anorexic when this feast is spread before us. My wife loves to pray and she's taught me more about prayer than any other person. It's Richard Foster who said that prayer is not about gritting your teeth but about falling in love. And I see my wife deeply in love with her Savior, delighted to come into his presence. And uh, honey, I hope you don't be offended, but you go to prayer like our dog Jack goes to his meat. <laughs> wish I could get you to pray. I wish I could get me to pray. Like a dog goes to meat. Uh, I read a story a while back about a church in the Midwest of the U.S. of A. Little church. It goes back a ways, but a uh, little church, little community. And right next door, a couple of people brought, bought uh, the building next to the church, and they turned it into a nightclub, carousing, you know, hedonistic things going on. And the church people were deeply distressed. And so they publicly called a meeting that um, they would gather uh, all their, their members and they would pray fervently for God to intervene and shut down the nightclub. And so uh, th- they made this very public and the nightclub owners knew that they were going to pray against this nightclub that God would shut it down. So they gathered to pray and as they were praying, a huge thunderstorm brewed up and... This is a true story. A lightning bolt came out of the sky, struck the nightclub, burned it to the ground. The owners of the nightclub sued the church. (laughs) The church claimed they had nothing to do with this. In the trial, the presiding judge opened his comments, uh, opened the, the trial with his comments. Whatever the verdict of this these proceedings are this one thing is clear from the beginning the nightclub owners believe in the power of prayer and the church does not (laughs) now when I read that story I thought of Acts chapter 12 do you remember this story Uh, let me remind you Acts chapter 12 is is a brilliant I, I think 
everything in the Bible is brilliant. Acts chapter 12 begins, if you remember, with Herod triumphant, Peter in prison, and James dead. It ends with Peter out of prison, Herod dead, and the word triumphant. But in the middle, there's this funny little story where Peter's in prison by Herod, and it doesn't look good because Herod has killed James, and everybody um, other than the church is pretty happy about that. So it looks like that is going to be the fate of Peter. And it says in verse 5 of Acts chapter 12 that the church, the entire church, the entire body of Christ throughout the world has gathered in a room to pray fervently, it says, earnestly for the apostle Peter. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in that prayer meeting? I mean, calling out to the incarnate God that they had all, these were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. These are men and women who have seen that the arm of the Lord is not too short. And can you imagine the power and fervor of the church, the entire worldwide church at that point, gathered, focal point, I mean, this laser beam of passion on this one issue, God, release Peter. And we find out that this angel comes and it's an incredible story. I mean, opens the door, just escorts him out of the prison. And he comes in. A servant girl, Rhoda, comes down. Who's there? It's Peter. Ah, she doesn't even open the door. She's amazed. I mean, she can't. I mean, here's a, is she a believer? We don't know. But at that point, she must have become one. She's been listening to the incredible, earnest, fervent, passionate prayers of the entire body of Christ worldwide gathered for this one thing, Peter. And there he is. I mean, she's so overwhelmed. She won't even open the door. She just runs up and she says, Peter, Peter. And you know what the church says to her? You're out of your mind. No, it's him. No, it must be his ghost. No, it's really him. Uh... She opens the door finally, he comes in, and it says the church is astonished. Now this is, I don't think you get the church in a more pure form than you have it at this point. And I think in some ways the world believes in prayer, the power of prayer more than the church sometimes. We find out, it's a grim moment, that the, the soldiers appointed to watch over Peter are executed. They believed in the power of prayer. I wish I could get you to pray the way my dog goes after meat. Uh, brother, I forget your name. Nigel. 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 I, I, I described Nigel today as a desperate, half crazy, God hungry Irishman. Because um, you pray like my dog goes after meat. And, and, and this morning in our prayer time, Nigel prayed, Lord, I'm going to try to do this, Lord, <laughs> the disciples asked you. I'm sort of mixing a bit of a Scottish accent in here, I think, yeah. <laughs> teach us to pray, not teach us to preach. Can you imagine if you were uh, an understudy, a 
an apprentice of Jesus. Now, you are an apprentice of Jesus. You are a disciple. But I mean, in real time, you were walking, talking with Jesus down the road. Hey, let's go. Hey, there's a Taco Bell or a Burger King or whatever. Let's go for a meal. You could sit with Jesus and you could ask Jesus in real time, face-to-face, anything. And you could ask Jesus for his trade secrets. I mean, what would you ask? If, if um, the church in America is absolutely mesmerized by leadership, we are drunk on the whole concept of leadership. And I think that there is a season in my life where I was so captivated by this whole conversation about leadership as though that was the missing key in the kingdom, not followership. <laughs> That I think if I had a gut, you know, five minutes face-to-face with Jesus and I could ask him anything, I'd say, Jesus, teach me how to lead. Man, when you do it, people are inspired. The hard-hearted and the angry either come to their senses or they, they just back off. The, the timid get courage and they step up to the game. Teach me how to do that. Sometimes I've been in really prickly situations with deeply hurting people, and I just mumble and stumble through it. And, and I might say, Jesus, teach me how to counsel. I mean, when, when that woman came to you at the well, and her life was such a wreck, and she was so evasive, you just knew how to get right to the heart of the matter. And she went back dancing. <laughs> Because the thing that she'd been looking for her whole life in one bad relationship after the next, she found it in living water. Give me, I want to counsel like you counsel. Lord, teach me how to preach. I mean, in 15, I recited for my church last year. I memorized and recited the Sermon on the Mount. Many people who didn't know what I was doing came up and told me it was my best sermon ever. And, but I, it, was, it was great because I, I finished and I said, well, what did you hear? And one guy said, are you crazy? You want me to turn the cheek when my enemy hits me? It was, it, was, it was so fantastic. But it took 15 minutes beginning to end. God, Lord, teach me how to do that, to say that much, that, that, that much conviction, that much clarity, that much passion. In 15 minutes. But the disciples don't ask that. They say, teach us to pray. They've been stumbling, bumbling, following along for a while now. And they've discerned something. That the very heart of Jesus Christ is prayer. That the energy. That the effectiveness that he has in all these other things. Has its taproot in a life of prayer. Mark chapter 3, that Jesus calls the disciples to him after a night of prayer. It says that Jesus often went into the solitary places in the early hours just to be with his Father. Uh, John 17 is really the Lord's Prayer because it's the Lord praying for not only the disciples right around him, but for you and me. And I pray for all of those, Lord who will come to believe in me. Jesus praying for you and me. 
Jesus in Gethsemane spends his last night praying. And on the cross, he expends his last breaths praying. And I think it's Hebrews that really sums it up. Hebrews 5, 7 that says, while he was on earth, Jesus was continuously praying groans and cries. And then in Hebrews 7, 25, it says that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. In other words, Jesus' work in heaven and on earth is a work of prayer. So no wonder the disciples came up to him and said, teach us how to pray and teach us what to pray. Of all these other great things that you do, we have discerned, even in sometimes our confusion that at the very heartbeat of who you are is prayer. Teach us to pray like dogs go after meat. Jim Simbola, a pastor in New York, I was talking a bit about him the other night. I went once in New York to a prayer meeting that they hosted their church. It's on a Tuesday night. It's in the mean streets of Brooklyn. The church seats 3,500 people. And if you're not there a half hour before it starts, you will not get a seat. And they storm heaven. And Simula says this. You can measure the popularity of your preacher by how many show up on a Sunday morning. You can measure the popularity of Jesus by how many come to the prayer meeting. I wish I could get you to pray like my dog goes after meat. So we come to this Mark 9 passage. And I know when we talk about missions and prayer, the standard text is Luke 10 where Jesus says I'm sending you out and the fields are ready and people people are ready for a a kingdom conversation there's just not enough people willing to do it so would you pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers and then once they're about to say oh Jesus please send out he says wait a second guys be the prayer (laughs) go That's the standard text for missions and prayer. But I'm going to use this Mark 9 one because I think it gets to the heart of what Jesus intends for his his body, his church, that is always on mission with God. Now, the passage I read from Mark 9 with this boy from a long time, he's had this demon afflicting him, trying to kill him, and the father pleading. The story just before this is the transfiguration. Peter... James, John, Jesus says to them one day, boys, we're going for a little walk, a little outing, a little excursion. And they go up into the mountain and they see Jesus transfigured, all the veils removed, the splendor and glory of Christ uh, in full cry. And they're awestruck and Peter says something stupid and and, and God speaks and says, this is my son whom I love. And listen to him. Moses and Elijah are there, but he doesn't care about what those guys have to say right now because the son is present. And, and the son is the transcendent one. The son has authority over the law and authority over the prophets. That's what Moses and Elijah represent. Listen to my son. 
Now, just before they'll go up into the transfiguration, at the very beginning, verse 1 of chapter 9, Jesus says this. Jesus said to them, this is verse 1, chapter 9, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Now, the conventional understanding of Jesus saying that, pointing, and there's his disciples, and he says, some of you will not die before you see the kingdom come in power. Next scene is a transfiguration that he, he was referring to Peter, James, and John. They were the few, they were the elect, they were the chosen out of the disciples who got a little preview of the kingdom come in power. I'm not sure if that's the right interpretation. I am increasingly believing that Jesus meant for the guys who had to stay home and break camp, that he intended for them to see the kingdom come in power, or maybe for all of them. And here's why. What did Jesus say when they said, teach us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, get totally immersed and totally centered in the reality and the power of God. And then what's the next part? And pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is asking them to, if they want to know what the power is that is flowing through him, that gives him this effectiveness in preaching and counseling and leading, it's prayer, and it's prayer that first begins in a total adoration, immersion, and submission to the Father God. And then immediately says this, God, what you're doing up there, I want right here. The kingdom, right here, down, on the, down in the valley, not just up in the mountain, right here. Not some private viewing, but, but the, the, the disciples left in charge of the shop while you're gone, right here. Jesus said this, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Luke chapter 11, verse 20. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God is among you. In chapter 10 of Luke, and we know chronologically that that occurred after the transfiguration, the disciples finally get it right, and they can cast out a demon when he sends them out. And they come back from their little mission outing, and they say to Jesus, even the demons submitted to us in your name. In other words, we see the kingdom coming. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. You guys are rocking the place. Kingdom's coming. Jesus says in Luke 17, uh, don't think that the kingdom is this, it's over there, it's over there. You go up a mountain and see it. The kingdom's right here. See, my growing conviction about this text is that Jesus intended this to be a taste, a foretaste of the guys who stayed at home to say, guys, there's a, there's a coming a day. <laughs> When it's going to be to your benefit that I go away, because there's going to be a power come in you and through you, and you will do greater things to see. I'm going to give you a little taste of that. I'm going to go to town for the evening. I'm going to stay at Premier Inn somewhere. And you guys left back here are going to see the power of God come in you and through you. 
Why do I think that? Well, when Jesus comes down the mountain, he sort of comes back to church as normal. You know, these guys that have this incredible experience up in the mountain, and it says they come back and there's a fight going on. <laughs> little argument, little hair splitting happening. And the teachers of the law and disciples are in argument. And he says, what are you guys arguing about? He, says, he basically comes back, it's church as we know it. <laughs> and uh, they come back, and, and, and this is uh, what the Father says. Jesus, I brought my son to you. That's... Verse 17. Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit to you. And then a few verses down, he says, I asked your disciples to cast it out. Do you see, that father has in his mind an equal sign. Bring your worst problem to the church and it's the same thing as bringing it to Jesus. Bring your drug addicted. People who, do you have crystal meth here? We have this drug that's all the rage in Canada called crystal meth. One hit and you can be addicted. It's worse than crack cocaine. And it is a demon. I believe, I believe I've seen the demonic in the ways that the scripture describes it, but I think that the devil's got a lot of tools. I think of crack cocaine, a young man in our church, beautiful young man, he's just back second or third time from rehab. He'll go almost two years. He's never finished two years. Beautiful wife, thriving business, just had a little baby girl, gorgeous. And the, the voice in his head starts to tell him, come back to me. I'll treat you really well this time. And, and, and three times we've watched this guy go back. And what um, this man, this father, he has this little equation in his head. Bring your worst, skankiest, ugliest, messiest, thorniest problem to the church, to the disciples. Ask them to help. And it's the same thing as if Jesus were right there. <laughs> that's what's in his head. Now, here's the thing that stuns me. That's in that equation, that equal sign, that's in Jesus' head too. Oh, unbelieving generation. How long will I put? Guys, I went, out and I went out of town for one night. I put you in charge of the store. And you couldn't do this. How long will I put up with this? Because, boys, I'm, I'm thinking about going a light way for a long time here. And the world's going to throw some real big messes at you. And be a lot of heartbroken moms and dads coming to you. And some heartbroken children about their moms and dads. There's gonna, man, there's going to be family train wrecks. There's going to be people thinking that the world's offering them some beautiful thing. And they're going to find out real late in the day that they got baited and switched. And guys, I'm, I'm, I'm putting you here and filling you with my spirit. So that when they come to you, 
this equation that should be in their head, bring the problem to Jesus' disciples and you've brought the problem to Jesus, that they're not disappointed. In fact, when that father says, you know, I do believe, help me with my unbelief, here's how I understand that. I do believe Jesus, but A, life's beat me up pretty hard. And two, I, um, I, I had a little encounter with your disciples recently. I, I went to your church, and it kind of eroded my confidence a bit. Bring the boy to me. So the demon comes, immediately sees Jesus, freaks out. Jesus casts it out, it's done. The boy is raised up. Why couldn't we do this? Now, I want to stop there for just a second. At this point in the story, um, there's been this group of disciples... And there's been these teachers of the law. And at this point in the story, you can't tell one from the next. You don't know who really is a follower of Jesus and who's just merely religious up until this point. They're both argumentative. They just like to butt heads. They like to split hairs. And they're both impotent. They can't do anything in the face of the world's suffering, of real evil, radical evil. There's no way you could distinguish other than maybe there's some, you know, somebody has a tie on or something, I don't know, but, but you, there's no way you can distinguish in terms of the, the, the behavior from a, a follower of Jesus and somebody who's merely religious up to this point. This is the point where it divides. The only thing now that distinguishes a true follower of Jesus from a teacher of the law or somebody who's merely religious, merely religious is the disciples keep following Jesus and they want to know why they could not do what he does. Now let me be very clear where I'm going with this. You can know whether you're really hungry for Jesus and you want more of him and you actually follow him with your whole heart, even if you failed miserably at many things, whether you're a true disciple or you're just religious by this, do you want more of the power of God in your life? You see, the teachers of the law saw what Jesus did. They couldn't cast out the demon any more than the disciples did. Everybody was trying. They couldn't do it. They saw Jesus and just bang, it's done. Where did they go? Don't you think that even one of them must have had a moment saying, okay, that's what it's about. That's what the church on earth should look like. Okay, Jesus, can I follow you? Can I... What am I doing wrong here? No, they just got in their cars and they went to the next seminar or whatever. I don't know. They went to write another book. You see, a disciple doesn't always get it right. We ought to know that from the biblical witness. A disciple keeps wanting more of Jesus Christ in them, through them, for the sake of a dying world. 
And let me just say it clearly. If you don't have that hunger in your heart, and I assume because you're here, you do. But if you can look at the problems of the world, it's apathy and it's depravity. And not want more of Jesus Christ in you, for you, through you, for the sake of that dying world, then you are not, if you don't want that, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just religious. Hunger and thirst for this. Our first prayer should be a cry for this to be loosed in us for the sake of our own transformation and the sake of this world. You can't do what you do without prayer, can you? (laughs) Are you you doing the Burundi thing and is it all about techniques? It programs? (laughs) strategic thinking, of course you have to have some good planning and all of that, but are you not desperate? For the sake of this dying world. Anyhow, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus just says this kind of only comes out through prayer or in some translations, prayer and fasting. Um, you don't, Jesus, do we, do we need a better program here? If we have a better um, Willow Creek cast out demon programs. Do, do we need greater technique? If we preach better, if we had better music, would that do it? And Jesus is saying, no, there's, there's some things where God wants to move in power, in the power of his kingdom come among you. And this stuff only comes through prayer. Now, did you notice in this story, there's a couple of curious things. One is obviously curious. Jesus doesn't pray. I mean, did, did you see Jesus say, oh my goodness, this is that kind of poltergeist. That kind of, oh boy. Whew. I, guys, I got to just take a little time out here and uh, I'll be back. And, and, you know, go off to the solitary place and pray himself up. He doesn't pray, he just stands and delivers. Deaf and dumb demon, come out of him, and it's done. <laughs> and here's the other thing that I'm speculating, I'm reading into the text, but I don't think with um, irresponsibly. I can't imagine those disciples didn't pray. Can you imagine they didn't pray? I mean, I think they threw everything they ever heard, every prayer they've ever, you know, okay, what was that thing Jesus told us? Thy kingdom come, thy will. I mean, they were like... You know, every high prayer they've heard, every low prayer, ch- prayers they heard as children. You know, they're doing, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord, but it's all to keep. Uh, they're throwing everything they can at this demon, and they're not making a dent. So what does Jesus mean by prayer? This kind comes out only by prayer. What is prayer? I said a moment ago, it's not gritting your teeth, it's falling in love. What Jesus means by prayer is that we so dwell in his company and walk with him in humility that his life is fully at work and alive and unhindered in ours. Our lives are totally vessels of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what prayer is. A, A deep saturation, a deep steeping, a soaking in the very presence of God until God fills our hearts and our minds and every thought is taken captive and made obedient 
And every muscle responds to the prompting of God. This kind comes only out by prayer. The world's in a pickle. The apathy of the world and the enmity of the world is not going to be matched by the complacency of the church. This kind comes only out by prayer. Do you know the the problems that we face in Bangor, in Vancouver, in Vancouver Island, Burundi, in in Dublin, Madrid, and everywhere? The problems that we face now are so deep down that there is no technique and there is no program and there's no better preaching or better music that is going to cast it out. This kind comes only out by prayer by men and women, you and me, disciples of Jesus Christ, who have hungered and thirsted for the presence and the righteousness of Christ, that we are dissatisfied with our current level of spiritual power and authority, that we keep coming and soaking in the presence of God until when we go out into that world, we just spill it over. It's funny that the story that follows right on the heels of this is an argument that again breaks out among the disciples. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Takes them a while to get this, doesn't it? Let me close with um, a story. Back around 10 years ago, I was invited to be part of a leadership development program it spanned two years and every six months a group of leaders from across North America would come together for one week of intensive study together and worship together and on the third time coming together so we really had already bonded and we knew each other well And we had been told six months out that we had to preach to each other for three minutes. There's 27 of us in the class, and we knew six months ahead that when we got together on the third week, second day of the third week, we had to stand up in front of one another and preach for three minutes. That's a lot of time to prepare for a short sermon. Most of us... That's how we make our living, by talking to people. You wouldn't believe how much work we put into those sermons. The, the night prior to us all getting up in front of one another, the 27 of us all standing before each other who all preached the gospel, all knew Jesus, all of that. The night before, it was like a battalion going to war. The anxiety. And some of them dealt with it by just kind of they played cards into the night and they, you know, drank strong coffee and they laughed uproariously and, you know, like the barracks stuff. And, and others kind of went and went, wandered off by themselves and you could see them at the edge of the woods walking and they'd stop. And, and the anxiety was so thick. And the day dawned and we all came down and you could just feel it at breakfast. You could just feel this tension. And the preach-off began. <laughs> 27 
And man, you have not heard preaching like that. It was unbelievable. I mean, six months to pray, prepare three minutes. Nobody actually kept to the three minutes. But, oh my, I mean, the dazzling. And as this is going on, I think I was number 18 in the roster, and my anxiety kept going up and up and up as I heard how good this preaching was because I realized I'm sitting there, and I realized I want to be the greatest. I want to impress these men and women, and I want to be better than them. Anyhow, I got up, and I did my thing, and I think I did okay. Number 22 was Steve, and Steve was not a seasoned preacher. Uh, I've kept up with Steve, and he's become a very fine communicator since then. But 10 years ago, he was in youth ministry, and they hardly ever let him into a pulpit, and for good reason then. (laughs) Steve, as he walked up, you could see he was visibly shaking. I mean, number 22... And you've got like at least 18 of these guys have been Charles Spurgeons. That's intimidating. And he got up and he was just trembling and his eyes were very big. And he said, I'm scared. And we said, oh, Steve, it's just us. (laughs) And Steve, as far as I remember, was the only person who actually finished in the three-minute time allotment. All the rest of us windbags went over and it was not impressive. You know what he did? He told the story. No embellishments, no, you know, no stories to strengthen the story. Of the woman who had the bleeding for 12 years and touched the hem of Jesus' robe. Just told it. He finished and he went and sat down. And... At the conclusion of each person speaking, we were to critique each other. And when Steve sat down, nobody wanted to critique him, not because he had been so afraid and so vulnerable, but because something had happened and we could all sense it. There was a holiness in the room. And so we sat there in silence, and in the silence we could hear at the back of the room a woman weeping. The teacher turned and saw, and it was Wendy, and he said, Wendy, are you okay? And she said, uh, yeah, I'm really great. What's happening, Wendy? Well, for over the last year, I've had a medical condition that I've gone to doctor and doctor and specialist, and they can't diagnose it. And I've been in constant pain. And I've been so worried, and my husband's been so worried. And they can't find anything to help me. And as Steve was speaking, Jesus came and healed me. Do you know what Jesus can do with one person who is just filled with him? And there's no other agenda. This kind only comes out by prayer. 
God, I pray this morning that we would be a church on our knees. God, I pray t- um, the, the, the next couple days that prayer meeting would be just jam-packed. We'd have to stand in room only at it. That, Father, we know that uh, all this incredible resources that you've provided and poured out and God, all this means nothing if underneath it isn't men and women so filled with the presence of God, so delighted and satisfied with the goodness of God, so alive in the power of God, that even in their trembling, even in their weakness, the devil is put on the run. And the weak are given strength and the sick are healed and the gospel is preached with your power. So God, I pray that we would be a church on our knees and we'd understand that the mission that God has in this world, that it's a God of mission who has a church in the world, that he's asked first and foremost that church to say, this world is going to serve you up evil, troubles, heartache that... Unless you have me in you, you cannot do the greater things that I've sent you to do. But if you do, you can do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. So God, may we be this church for the sake of your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.